Hello. Oh, it works. Hi, everyone. My name is Amy Rana. Thanks. Um, I'm on the ministry support team. And today I get the extraordinary pleasure of introducing to you, some of you already know him, but new, new faces and a new person for me. Awesome guy. Already just spoke with him with a short time. And it's inspirational what God is doing through him. So his name is Tom Middleton. He actually uh, came to church here, he and his wife, about the 1990s through 2002 or three, and we're the sending, part of the sending organization that has um, enabled him to do what amazing things God is working through him. So enough of me, let's talk to him. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, well, if you look in uh, church and world history, you see places where people are living in slavery, where they're, um, they don't know how to worship God. They don't know who God is. And throughout history, God has taken it upon himself to decide to go and um, raise up a people who would know him and know how to worship him and to experience his kingdom on earth. And he'll call, he'll call men and women like Moses, like Gideon, like Peter and Paul, to um, go to those contexts that are under-engaged by the existing people of God. And he'll raise up those men and women who will be agents of transformation for those people. And um, like Paul, the apostle, sometimes the existing church and those contexts don't know what to do with these people, these agents of transformation. They don't understand them. They don't know how to support them. They don't know how to get behind them. So what I do and my organization does, among other things, is we are the Barnabases who find, develop, and catalyze these mission entrepreneurs so that they're freed and able to be those agents of transformation in those contexts under-engaged by the existing church. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? I'm, I'm so impressed how God has equipped you to do this. Um, so can you give us an example? I mean, it, it, it just seems a little bit more abstract to me. I mean, I know you're going to where they are and you're meeting them and, and just kind of unlocking the door that God has, you know, prepared them for. But can you give us an example? So how, how do I do this? Yeah, yeah how do you do it and, and just... Bring us all the way through the story. You had told, told me a small portion of what was happening in one area. So, Yeah, so, um, you know, these are needles in haystacks finding these people. Um, and so you have to pray, pray these people in. Um, you don't just walk down the street and, you know, gather them up with a net. Um, and so generally speaking, I'll get a phone call or I'll get an email or I'll be connected by somebody who, who knows somebody who's trying to do something new and innovative that God Almighty has kind of downloaded to them. Hey, I want you to do this. And so uh, we'll, we'll end up finding them, and I'll go and visit them in whatever context it is. Uh, last July, June, July, I was in Croatia, Germany, and in Natal, South Africa, uh, working with... Um, I was in Croatia, I was working with uh, leaders from six different countries, Germany, 
uh, with uber cultural, creative, hip uh, business and social entrepreneurs who are starting to see new churches in those contexts. And then uh, got taken uh, by a, a missiologist friend of mine who's seeing gospel movements in heretical um, churches that were started, that came out of the, the uh, Zeusa Street revivals in Los Angeles um, in the early 1900s in a, a church, the largest church in all of South Africa um, came out of this, this movement. And these, uh, the, the white people broke off from the black community in South Africa about 10, 15 years after uh, the church started. And um, so you have these bishops and archbishops who are in uh, Zululand, and we got a chance to go in and meet with them. And some of them don't even read. They're, they're archbishops of this, this uh, heretical church that they, they want to worship God, they want to serve God, but they don't know how. So we have an insider leader who came out of that church who's who was the son of a bishop, and he's now the most respected guy in the community. And he's uh, um, mentoring and developing these bishops and archbishops of the largest church in all of South Africa, 50% of the country as part of that church. And uh, we got to go in and we, I got to sit in a, around a fire with these, with these leaders. And we uh, were the first white people they'd had a meeting with in about 60 years. And we got to, we had developed a Bible with a Bible study that could take them through uh, the scripture passages where they could actually start to have a sense of historical Orthodox Christian faith. And we got to be the first people to give them those Bibles. And wearing this jacket, as I often do when I'm in Africa, is because I never know when I'm going to be invited to give a formal prayer. They, they asked me to pray, and I got to give the closing prayer. And you can imagine um, how intimidating it would be to pray in front of archbishops and bishops um, who you don't know their theology. But the Lord uh, led me uh, in how to pray for them. And so we're seeing, uh, we're um, developing the, the leaders who are going to get behind this uh, insider movement in this place. And uh, we want to see from the inside out this entire denomination come to a historical Orthodox faith and hopefully see um, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people coming to know uh, Jesus as the church has understood that for the last 2,000 years. Wow. Um, well, how can we pray for you? I mean, we can't really do much more than... You know. Yeah, yeah. So you can imagine there's, um, you know, God raising up Pauls and Peters and Gideons and Moses is all around the world. So that we'll see churches like this that were started 30 years ago to see a new expression of the body of Christ that's relevant and appropriate in the communities around the world. Well, um, there's not a lot of people who get those people. So part of my job is to find, develop, and raise up Barnabases as well. So we, we want to see Barnabas hubs, a hub of local indigenous Barnabases who can go out and find those people in the context around the world. So the vision is to see a hub of people like me, not ex 
exactly like me, but who can do this job. And I've got a lot of training and a lot of education to be able to do this and a lot of experience. But um, we want to see more people who we want to replicate this ministry around the world. So uh, praying for uh, that I can find those Barnabases who know what to do with these Pauls and Peters um, in all these different places that uh, God has a heart to, to bring his kingdom. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, Tom is going to read uh, our Philippians passage starting at um, chapter 2, verse 1. So, It's my privilege to get a chance to read um, a letter that was written to the Philippians 1957 and a half years ago, plus or minus a week or two, that the Apostle Paul now um, is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit, the church in San Dimas. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If any comfort, comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it very much. So I'm just going to pray with Tom before we, before we delve into this passage. Lord, it's a good reminder to know that um, throughout this world, there are people who have heard your call, 
and have responded and said yes to you. I know Tom uh, as the same as we've seen the people of Philippians and, and Paul and, and others that we've considered over the past few weeks uh, don't think very highly of themselves that it's them that are doing this, but they believe that you are capable of taking the little that they have and using it in this world to show that, that you are here, that you love your creation and there's a way of hope, a way of joy, a way of peace, a way of reconciliation that stands right before us in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, I thank you for Tom's presence with us here today to remind us to expand our thinking into the world again, um, to not be narrowed down in our own living room or home or workplace or church or community, but this amazing global movement that you uh, have called us to be part of. And Lord, we thank you. We just are grateful for the opportunity to partner with Tom and his family. Uh, empower him, Lord, for continued ministry with creativity, with joy, with energy. Uh, and may our prayers go with him, uh, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Bless you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Good morning. I am Grant, and I'm pastor at New Song Church. A very grateful pastor here, and it's a privilege to be here with you guys every Sunday. Um, almost didn't make it. I got pretty struck down by the virus that's going around, so I spent yesterday in bed, but I think I'm good to go. I've got my water. I'm heavily medicated, so if I say anything <laughs> that's even more weird than the things I usually say, that's, that's what's to blame. Um, we have been, uh, this is the fourth week in Philippians. I thought it'd be worth doing a little bit of a recap of where we have been so far in this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi uh, for several reasons. The first is that today we're looking at this centerpiece, as Tom so wonderfully read, a centerpiece of this letter, which really gives the, the, the absolute core of what Paul is about and what he believes the church should be about. It's this fantastic uh, expression, explanation of who Jesus is. And that is the center of absolutely everything. This sermon series is, is subtitled, All for Jesus. This is the moment when Paul lays this out for the church and for us. And uh, the second thing is, this is a letter. and We've been breaking it up in these kind of incremental week-by-week -week sections, and that's not really how a letter is supposed to be read. So before we get to this next part, I thought it'd be good for us just to kind of catch up on where we've been um, and the third thing is, many of us don't get to church for whatever reason every week. So some of you have missed some of these parts. So I thought, well, this would be a, a good thing to do to catch us all up on the parts we may have missed so far. And hydrate or dihydrate, as Jessica Carnahan said to me once. And so um, the very first week, we did two verses only. And we discovered, first of all, that this is indeed a letter written by, probably dictated by Paul to someone who was inscribing this down. And it was delivered by someone we believe called Epaph... Oh, come on, Grant, see? <laughs> Sickness, the lurgy. Epaphroditus, who brought this letter to the church, probably in answer to some questions that the church had asked of Paul in a letter that was delivered to him. Uh, he's in prison, probably in Rome, um, and he's writing to his friends in the city of Philippi. Philippi was a church in Asia Minor uh, that he had founded as he was traveling on his missionary journey, sharing the gospel in the Gentile parts of the world. Uh, it seems that Paul follows somewhat the conventions of the time as far as letter writing. He brings, begins with a greeting, a salutation, but what he writes is anything but conventional. 
Uh, this is not a formal letter. It is full of passion for these people, love for these people, a heartfelt letter of care and concern as well as uh, practical help. He introduces himself and his co-worker Timothy as servants or slaves of Christ. He believes himself to be under new authority. All the authority that was over him or which he believed prior to this time when he met Jesus is now changed. He is Jesus' person. This is his priority. <coughs> and he similarly reminds the Philippian church that they too are under new authority, that he calls them saints. And saints, we talked about, that has a kind of weird connotation like, you know, he's no saint or she's such a saint, like some kind of perfection. But really, it's nothing to do with perfection. It's simply a saint is someone who's been called out of the world for a new purpose, to serve Jesus with everything that they have and everything that they are. He reminds them of this, uh, that they have uh, this new um, identity. And he, in fact, he reminds them they have two identities. I talked about the fact that I am a citizen of the United Kingdom, but yet I am a resident, permanent resident alien of the United States. I have these kind of dual citizenships. Well, he told them that they are in Christ. And we had this little diagram. Everything that they do is in Christ. Wherever they go, wherever they say, wherever they think, every single part of their life is now covered by this identity in Christ. But also they're in Philippi. And that's equally important. They are in their place and they're not to go move off to some mountain in the middle of nowhere and be in Christ together. They are to live completely, fully present in their context in Philippi. And he tells them that they have grace and peace from Jesus Christ. And that seems like it's a grace and peace to you, but it's deep meaning in that. They have everything they need, an endless supply of what they need for all circumstances. Um, and so they're all in Christ in this place. And he says all, it's important to remember, he says all of you, all, all, all. From the weakest to the strongest, the richest to the poorest, the most educated to the least educated. Remember, the church was founded upon a very wealthy woman by the name of Lydia and a jailer who was basically nobody. Just this guy who took care of prisoners in jail. And this is the church. But all of them are called to participate. No one left out. And we reflected on the similarities between Philippi and our context here in Southern California. It's important to know that there were many similarities. It was a very uh, a prestigious place. It was a, a jewel of the empire, very dear to the emperor's heart um, and, and full of similar entertainments and distractions and commerce and all the things that make Los Angeles such a happening, busy place, unlike France, where people take a nap in the afternoon. I love that. You know, but the people, the slave masters who want us to work all the time say that that's like the typical lazy French, right? But I think the, the French have got something good with that, a rhythm of life with rest. Um, so what about us? We were called to be all in, in Christ, in our context. We are in Christ right where we are. It's okay to be here and it's good to be here. And we take Christ wherever we go. Second week, we talked about confidence, we talked about the need for confidence, that we can't live a healthy, productive human life without having confidence in something. And there are many things in which we put our confidence and many of them fail us all the time. And Paul states what he has confidence in. For everything that he believes, everything that he writes to them is based on something. The fact that he believes something truly has happened, something authentic, transformative, it actually occurred in their lives that then nothing could stop. And he writes to them from the first day, the first day they met Jesus until now, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And that is his confidence for everything. 
and the church was growing. I've got a map here of the church in the early days and it, was, it came from Palestine and Jerusalem and it's now spreading across the world. And this is the earliest churches. And here we sit today. Uh, how, how long later again? He's, he's good at math. He calculated how far. I've, as I know, you know I'm terrible at math. Um, a long time later, here we sit. <laughs> we could expand this map and say, look at where it's traveled to. From this man, Paul, who had confidence that what had started would not be stopped. It's never been stopped. It never will be stopped. And so the good news was spreading. This was not some new philosophy or theoretical idea, but it was a movement of, of genuine human transformation that was around the central character of Jesus. And they had confidence. And it was causing trouble because they had confidence prior to this in all kinds of things in their city, in their culture, in their empire. And that was being eroded and it was very challenging. But we just, they discovered now that in this, Paul's saying, because something has actually happened, you can have confidence. And there's four areas that we looked at. The first was partnership. The first, you can have confidence in your brothers and sisters and you can have confidence in me, Paul, because I hold you in my heart. So similarly, hold one another in your heart. Do not turn away from a brother in need. Do not do that. You're violating what is now new about you, that you are one. You are the body of Christ. Second thing is active prayer. When I prayed for Tom just then, I believe that my prayer is affected because something has happened in Tom's life, because something has happened in the world, and God calls me. I don't understand the mystery of prayer, but God calls me to contribute, participate by praying for him, and it, something happens. It moves things. It's like we talked about, it, it creeps into the darkness and brings the light, and it moves things forward. So we have a confidence for prayer because something has happened. The third thing, freedom to live. Um, he was saying, because something has happened, you can live fully into your community. You can be willing to make mistakes because you have grace. <laughs> You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to narrow your life down for fear of making a mistake. Live fully. Engage with the parties of your neighbors. Show up to the party. Know when to leave, right? <laughs> but show up. Be there. If you get an invitation, accept it. Go to the wedding. Uh, the, the fourth thing is a clear and hopeful understanding of time. They believed that because something had happened, every day was full of promise, opportunity, and because there was a day coming when things would be wrapped up. And every day was important. And we talked about confidence, which really equals faith. Confidence is faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but fear. And it's fear that keeps us trapped. It's fear that prevents us from praying boldly, from partnering with one another deeply, from living courageously, from understanding time well. And Paul's letter is a call to fearless living regardless of circumstances. So what about us? Do we believe that? That we are in partnership, that we can pray, that we can live freely without fear of making mistakes, to understand that our time now is important? And last week, the third Sunday in this letter, we talked about priorities. We asked, what is the most important thing in your life? Secondly, what evidence is there to show that it actually is the most important thing in your life? Because what we say is the most important thing may not be shown by our behavior, by our spending habits, by all these, the way we spend our time, that it's true. And if the evidence points to something other than what you say, if it's the gospel, God, Jesus Christ, 
and we'd like to change this, what can we do? And we said, if you were convicted in a court for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And, and I don't like saying that because sometimes I wonder if there would be. I'd get off. <laughs> You're free to go. We cannot convict you of what you've been accused of. Um, and we had Paul as our expert because we realized looking on YouTube to figure out how to do things is really important. So we decided that Paul has a YouTube channel and there he is dispensing his wisdom. But we discovered that he, we think he's an expert witness about what it means to, to follow God in this world and it seems that that comes from his credibility. He was saying things to these people that they could, they could dismiss. They'd seen him living among them. He had credibility. He'd served time in this. Uh, he had also experienced what the other side was. He was an enemy of the people of Christ before. Now he is one of them and a, and a forefront, forerunner pioneer in this. And he walked what he talked. Not only that, but from what he says, it seems that his pursuit of Jesus, his prioritizing of the gospel is number one, has completely transformed his understanding of suffering in an amazing way and his own life and his own death and his experience of joy. I call him a joy junkie because he seems to keep getting into trouble and he seems to keep going there because he believes there's something he's gaining in the midst of that and it's not some kind of uh, adulation or Christian of the week award, which we're still arranging. Don't worry, I'm watching you guys. <laughs> we're getting the rosettes made right now as we speak. Uh, but he's experiencing a profound joy that, that many of us never experienced because we're so afraid to step in and trust Jesus with our lives. Um, so what about us? Uh, we are called to live as a number one priority in all that we do, not just what we say, but what we do say. Jesus, here is me, send me, I'm yours. And then follow that, that breadcrumb trail that he leaves for us. And we talked about Christians who are facing real danger. We don't actually need to make some kind of analogy between that time and this time because there are people in the world who are doing that right now. They prioritize the gospel to their own danger, even death. And we prayed for them. And those of you who are in small groups were encouraged to spend some time praying for those brothers and sisters because your prayers matter and they mean something and they have an impact. And then we partner with them. So what about this morning? Let's get right into this today. Um, I think this text this morning is a real antidote to the utter chaos that we seem to see in our world these days, globally, nationally. Would you agree? It seems like there's a lot of chaos right now. Um, and I've noticed something else, that a lot of people in this time of chaos are pointing to certain things that they believe society should be more like. Things like being uh, peaceable, having humility, kindness, unity, compassion, right? We're all talking about that. People of all religions and no religion uh, are talking about the need to be these things, which to me is like Galatians, fruit of the spirit, you know, love, peace, gentleness, self-control, all these kinds of things, right? Um, and I occasionally laugh to myself at the irony of it all because the answer to the dilemma is right here in the pages of scripture and in this passage today. But it seems that we can't, you know, we like to hear it from other sources, but when it comes straight from the tradition that we have been called into, I think we have somehow failed to show the world that, that this is the answer to our dilemma. For some reason, we have done that. And I think we'll discover that a little bit this morning. This section of the letter continues from the three verses that we read last week, where Paul began his letter um, talking about um, 
the very first part was about the confidence that he has. It's very autobiographical. The whole first part of Philippians is, this is my situation. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. This is all for the gospel. Don't worry about me. I am good. Uh, but now he says, okay, and in that case, as, my, as me an example, this is what you should do. And, and what he does is he says that, have confidence that the thing that has happened is real and you can do this. Uh, does anyone remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? The first Indiana Jones movie? There's this bit where he has to go and try and find the, uh, uh, the cup, you know, the chalice that uh, was given to Christ, I think, for a drink or something, right? Or was it the Last Supper? I can't remember exactly the details. It's historically factual, <laughs> based on fact. Deep, deep research. And so, uh, but there's this bit where he's in this kind of, the tomb place, and he's going to go find it. And there's all these different obstacles he's got to figure out how to get through. And one of them, he's just at this chasm. There's this wall of stone here, and he's standing at this wall of stone, this little entrance, and he says, there's no way across. And it's because, we have a picture, actually, that when he's looking at it from a certain angle, the bridge is actually the same texture as the wall in front, and he can't see it. So he just has to trust. So he does this, and he steps out onto it, right? And it's such a great picture of faith. Because he believes that he has to go forward, so he, he has to do it. Paul's saying, go forward. It will catch you. You will be okay. You will find solid ground to stand on. And so what he says, the way to do this is he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't worry about the, what appears to be a massive drop down thousands of feet. Whatever happens conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. No matter what. He says no matter what. And, and no matter what. Conducting yourself in the manner of the gospel worthy of Christ means two things. Well, it really means one thing with a consequence. The one thing is press into community. Follow your faith together. Make that your priority. And don't worry about what other people are doing outside of your community or the opposition that you're facing. Don't worry about that. Your job is to follow Jesus with all that you have together. Be together. Show up together. Do this. He said, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is what you are to do. Stand firm in one spirit. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. But, but we're being gossiped about, Paul. Shouldn't we defend ourselves no matter what? Stand firm together for the gospel. But my business is being negatively affected, Paul. No matter what, stand firm. But I'm frightened about the future, Paul. Yes, you have a right reason to be frightened about the future. Things are getting difficult. But no matter what, stand firm. Do not be frightened. This is your task. Trust God with all the rest. So, okay, Paul, what now? We're gathering together. We've got our, our congregation together. I think we're doing okay. We're doing what you tell us. We're trying to be confident, and we are trying to stand firm together. Let's get practical. So what does he tell him to do next? He says, go out and with a banner on the corner of the street and tell people about Jesus, right? He does that. Or he says, go feed the poor. He doesn't tell them to do that. Start a prayer meeting. Of course, we've got to start a prayer No, he doesn't tell them to do that either. Get some programs and events on the church calendar. Did they have a church calendar in Philippi? I don't know. Church calendar scroll. Did they have Google Drive? I don't think so. Get some event. Come on, let's just do stuff, right? It's really interesting because he doesn't do that next, which, which to us in our industrious non-French communities seems somehow wrong. 
We should be getting busy. Let's do things now, quick. Events, programs, do it. He starts with something completely different. He says that what they need to think about is their attitude first, their mindset, their way of thinking. This is primary. He calls them to think a certain way about themselves and others in a very particular way. And as proof of the necessity of this way of thinking, he points to the utter radical mindset of Jesus that is the model for how they should understand their lives. It's about thinking. And we have the same issue. We want to get busy, right? We want to get busy. But we have to realize that all, the way we think about what we're doing, who we are, who others are, will always affect what it is we do. And we've got to get that right first. Paul says, attitude always precedes action. Attitude must always precede action. If I think right about things, I will act right about things. So Paul calls him to a way of thinking. And once again, he bases his expectations on the gospel event and its outworkings among those people. Something has actually happened. Therefore, think this way. It can seem confusing. So we look at the passage, it says if. There's like four repetitions of the word if. So it sounds kind of conditional. He's like, kind of, if you guys are the real thing, if you guys are, re- if this has really happened among you, well, if, then this. But really, according to all the smart people who I read their books this week, in the Greek, it's not really, that's not the meaning of this. It's more like, if, and indeed it is so. He has confidence. If, and I know it's true, this has happened, then this. Or even better, since Since this has happened, since you are experiencing this, since you have seen this at work in your lives, then this. And he sets up a kind of a cause and effect. Since this, then this. The first one, since you are united with Christ. And he says, be like-minded. Let's do the next slide. I think I've got it on there, yeah. Since you are united with Christ, be like-minded. Since you are united, since you are already one, Be like-minded. Since you have comfort of love, have that same love among you. Since you yourself have received this love, let this be the love that is abroad and is the character of your relationships with one another. Since you have commonly shared in the spirit, be one in spirit. Since you have received tender, compassionate care from God, be of one mind. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? That's a way of thinking, since tenderness and compassion have come to you, be of one mind. So what God has given to you, now live it out. You have really been united with Christ, all of you, therefore live according to that truth. You've really received the comfort of God's love, therefore share this love among you all. You have all together shared in Christ's spirit, therefore let your energy be used in the same direction. Be one in spirit, in mission, in goal. And you're recipients of Christ's tenderness and compassion, Therefore, let these qualities rule your interactions with one another. It's true that the facts of the Philippians' new life in Christ only becomes real in the world when those who have been called into this reality live it out. It only becomes real when they live it out. The world cannot see their union with Christ or the comfort of God's love or the sharing of the Spirit or their experience of His tenderness and compassion unless they demonstrate it. 
together to those both inside and outside the group. So their unity is the evidence of Christ's authenticity and it comes from the way they think about themselves and others. Their unity is the evidence of Christ's authenticity. So question, what contributes to, to unity? What brings unity? Any suggestions? Good. Because <laughs> I was hoping no one would guess the right thing. It would kind of spoil my like aha moment, right? But here's the thing. Do you think I guessed correctly in thinking that a typical answer in our world would be that in order to have unity, we must think all the same about important matters? I think it seems to be what most forms of unity are built upon, whether religious or political. Uniformity equals unity. I think that's kind of the way of our world right now. And that's why so many problems that if I cannot have unity with you unless you agree with me about this, 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 and the next thing. Do you see that in our culture right now? That's not what Paul tells his friends. He, does, he says be like-minded, but that's about, be like-minded about the fact that Christ has entered your world and everything has changed. We've talked about that before. We, we are called to diversity in unity. Our strength comes from the fact that we're not all the same because you can reach someone, talk with someone that I don't understand, I don't know their world. Like what Tom's doing, he's trying to connect with people who understand a certain part of the world and he's trying, they're trying to reach in and he's supporting them in that, but he can't go all the places that they go. Paul doesn't say be uniform. He says though their unities are nurtured by their humility. Their unity is nurtured and tended to and strengthened by their humility. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, the next verses, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And actually, the, the, the uh, definite par particle there, the, is not actually in the text. So really, it's just others. It's not just the others, it's others. Other people, anyone. So a question today, are you a humble person? It's a trick question, right? I'm so glad none of you fell for that one, dude. You'd never live it down. Because a truly humble person does not know that they are humble, correct? And to remind myself of this, I used to have this cartoon on my office wall. It's just brilliant. No words really from him. It's just like smug look, certificate of humility. Christian of the week. But Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is the starting place. If you could do all the actions and the great deeds in the world, but if, if this is not in operation, it will not, it will not appear in the world as it's supposed to appear, and you will not enjoy the unity that you're supposed to enjoy as you do it. The thing is, can we achieve this kind of humility by our sheer determination to do nothing out of selfish ambition or being conceit, to value others above ourselves, to care about others' interests ahead of our own? Can you do that? Can I do that? If I or Paul or anyone else said, just do that, that's the message today, do that, all good, right? What would happen? I think we'd probably make some attempts at it, perhaps even experience some success, but inevitably one of two things will happen. We'll either fall back into our own patterns again of the default human position, which is me, me, me. What's it, the band called? Uh, what's it called again, Ronald? The, the Gimmies? Huh? Me first and you first. 
There's a band called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. That is a human, human name for something, right? That's, that's the default. It's our place of, of, that's our place, man. Or else we'll, be some, we'll become so good at it that we'll make ourselves a doormat to other people and we'll begin to feel so proud about how humble we are. And it's toxic, man. Because you're not living how, who you're meant to be and, you, and it just becomes this toxic version of what God's calling us into, this false humility, pride. Oh, how humble I am. So what are we to do? Because Paul knows people. He knows people because he knows himself. This is one thing about Paul. He is very self-reflective. He understands himself. He says some very clear things about his own sadness, about his own condition. But he always points to Jesus that there's a way forward, a way to change, a way to think differently. So what he says next is this. High command, be humble. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And once again, it's in the mind that this begins. In the mind, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, all cultures, uh, I, I did some searches online, and all cultures value humility. All religions value humility to some degree. But the Christ story, I believe, is the source and example of all humility and it is the exposure and death of all human pride in the Christ story and what Paul's about to tell us. And he tells us this story in just six short verses of text. And it's a hymn. It's actually a song. It's kind of like when Julie Andrews is walking about in the mountain and suddenly she bursts into song. And you're like, oh, no. It's like when you watch a movie and you're like, this is like a good film. And then someone starts singing and you're just like, nope. <laughs> no musicals. Happened the other night. Start watching this cop show. It's like it started with singing kind of Bollywood stuff. I was like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> But apparently it's a hymn, and we don't know whether Paul composed it or whether he is just repeating something that was common, a hymn of praise to Christ in his culture. I like to think that he, he composed it. This is something that he had written. Um, and here's what it says. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, and here it is, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Like this is the thing, man. You, you wanna take the most powerful, above it all being who, who humbles himself. That's like, this is the way the universe is supposed to work. Like for love. The one who had every right, every power, every justification for pride, every positional advantage, every, every, every became nothing. And we think we're so cool. We think we're so smart. We think we're so good that we can, we can continue to hold on to our own pride, our own way. And we look at Jesus Christ on the cross and we see God laying down his glory for us. That is the story at the center of all creation. And we have twisted it so badly that it's all about us attaining some kind of stature. And it's the opposite direction where glory is to be found. Love, the greatest, the one with legitimate claims to elevation and exaltation, humbles himself for the sake of the ones whom he loves to bring them out of darkness into light. That's what the church is called to do. 
we have the same mindset as Christ. We humble ourselves before one another. Not because of any duty, but because that is where healing comes from. That's where grace is found. And he chose to do it. It's so great. He said, he humbled himself. He made himself nothing. That is his will. That is the will of God towards this journey down. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. So I don't think we can choose to be humble until we see the example of this. This is what Paul holds out for them. Look at this. This is what it's about. This is our mind to be. So we, we, can, uh, we can see this. We can understand this. By the power of the Spirit, he can give us this understanding of our own need to set aside anything that, that is elevated in us. And, but it's by looking at that. And here's the thing. One day is coming this next part says that we will indeed humble ourselves. And we do indeed have a choice now to see this man on the cross who gave his life for me and humble myself in response, set aside all of my fight, all of my pride, all of my self. Or there's coming a day, the next part of the text says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Uh, that time's coming. That's amazing news for the Philippians too because those people who are persecuting them, including the empire, who they were told to call Lord and Savior, and it was in their refusal to do so that they would call the crucified, maligned, murdered, scum, Lord Jesus, person who was, they were mocked for that. They call him Lord and Savior. But it's their hope that one day even the biggest king would be made to kneel down before Jesus. And they chose to do it now and saw the power that came from that. I'm gonna invite the worship team up. What I love about this text is um, it's kind of like a sandwich. There's a lot of sandwich texts. It kind of starts off saying something has happened. Since this has happened, then do this, right? And it would be incomplete without the next part, which is, and look to Jesus for all the power and the understanding that you need to do it. So he calls to what has happened. He commands them into a certain way of living, and then he points at the solution for the lack of ability to actually do it. And it is to meditate on Christ, so I, I've got, we've got cards you probably received in the bulletin this morning. And if you don't have one, go to the connection desk and get one. And it simply is the scripture that we looked at today about Christ and his, though being God, did not consider that something to be used for his own advantage, but made himself a servant for us. And I would encourage us to let that be the source of the change of my mind, not some determination to put others before yourself, like opening doors for people, that's great but actually let it seep into your bones to realize that the one that you worship, the one that you serve, the one who did this and called you to follow into that kind of living and let him transform us inside. To let our humility begin to grow and from it let the fruit of a humble heart begin to reach out in service and love to those around us. Because 
attitude always precedes action. And if we have this kind of attitude, what God requires will naturally flow from it. But it's not just something you can decide to do. You have to understand that Jesus is let him appear. Because here's the thing. Not only did Jesus live this way, but he continues to live this way through us. Jesus is still the humble servant through us. Jesus is still the one who lays down his life for his friends through us. And I think if the world could see that in us, there would be such a marked difference between what people think the church is about and what we hope it to be. Maybe those who come closer together and people that actually see Stand with me as we sing this.